0: Chapter twenty seven of the Bride of Lammermoor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gillian Hendry. The Bride of Lammermoor by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter twenty seven. Why, now I have Dame Fortune by the forelock, and if she escapes my grasp the fault is mine. He that hath buffeted with stern adversity best knows the shape his course to favouring breezes. Old Play Our travellers reach Edinburgh without any further adventure, and the master of Ravenswood, as had been previously settled, took up his abode with his noble friend. In the meantime the political crisis, which had been expected, took place, and the Tory party obtained in the Scottish as in the English councils of Queen Anne a short-lived ascendancy, of which it is not our business to trace either the cause or consequences. Suffice it to say that it affected the different political parties according to the nature of their principles. In England, many of the High Church party, with Harley, afterwards Earl of Oxford at their head, affected to separate their principles from those of the Jacobites, and on that account obtained the denomination of whimsicals the scottish high church party on the contrary or as they termed themselves the cavaliers were more consistent if not so prudent in their politics and viewed all the changes now made as preparatory to calling to the throne upon the queen's demise her brother the chevalier de st george Those who had suffered in his service now entertained the most unreasonable hopes, not only of indemnification, but of vengeance upon their political adversaries. While families attached to the Whig interest saw nothing before them but a renewal of the hardships they had undergone during the reigns of Charles II and his brother, and a retaliation of the confiscation which had been inflicted upon the Jacobites during that of King William, But the most alarmed at the change of system was that prudential set of persons, some of whom are found in all governments, but who abound in a provincial administration like that of Scotland during the period, and who are what Cromwell called waiters upon providence, or, in other words, uniform adherents to the party who are uppermost. Many of these hastened to read their recantation to the Marquis of A., and as it was easily seen that he took a deep interest in the affairs of his kinsman, the master of Ravenswood, they were the first to suggest measures for retrieving at least a part of his property, and for restoring him in blood against his father's attainder. Old Lord Turntippet professed to be one of the most anxious for the success of these measures, for it grieved him to the very soul, he said, to see so brave and young gentleman of sick old and undoubted nobility and what was mere than all that a blood relation of the marquis of a the man whom he swore he honoured most upon the face of the earth brought to so severe a pass for his ain pair peculiar as he said and to contribute something to the rehabilitation of St Alda house the said turntippet sent in three family pictures lacking the frames and six high-backed chairs with worked turkey cushions having the crest of ravenswood broidered thereon without charging a penny either of the principal or interest they had cost him when he bought them sixteen years before at a rope of the furniture of lord ravenswood's lodgings in the Canongate, much more to lord turntippet's dismay than to his surprise although he affected to feel more of the latter than the former, the marquis received his gift very dryly, and observed that his lordship's restitution, if he expected it to be received by the master of Ravenswood and his friends, must comprehend a pretty large farm, which, having been mortgaged to Turntippet for a very inadequate sum, he had contrived, during the confusion of the family's affairs, and by means well understood by the lawyers of that period, to acquire to himself in absolute property. The old, time-serving lord winced excessively under the requisition, protesting to God that he saw no occasion the lad could have for the instant possession of the land, seeing he would doubtless now recover the bulk of his estate from Sir William Ashton, to which he was ready to contribute by every means in his power, as was just and reasonable and finally declaring that he was willing to settle the land on the young gentleman after his own natural demise. But all these excuses availed nothing, and he was compelled to disgorge the property on receiving back the sum for which it had been mortgaged. Having no other means of making peace with the higher powers, he returned home sorrowful and malcontent, complaining to his confidants that every mutation or change in the state had hitherto been productive of some small advantage to him in his ain quiet affairs but that the present had peas upon it cost him one of the best pen-feathers o his wing similar measures were threatened against others who had profited by the wreck of the fortune of ravenswood and sir william ashton in particular was menaced with an appeal to the house of peers a court of equity against the judicial sentences, proceeding upon a strict and severe construction of the letter of the law, under which he held the castle and barony of Ravenswood. With him, however, the master as well as for Lucy's sake, as on account of the hospitality he had received from him, felt himself under the necessity of proceeding with great candour. He wrote to the late Lord Keeper, for he no longer held that office, stating frankly the engagement which existed between him and miss ashton requesting his permission for their union and assuring him of his willingness to put the settlement of all matters between them upon such a footing as sir william himself should think favourable the same messenger was charged with a letter to lady ashton deprecating any cause of displeasure which the master might unintentionally have given her enlarging upon his attachment to miss ashton and the length to which it had proceeded and conjuring the lady as a douglas in nature as well as in name generously to forget ancient prejudices and misunderstandings and to believe that the family had acquired a friend and she herself a respectful and attached humble servant in him who subscribed himself edgar master of ravenswood a third letter ravenswood addressed to lucy and the messenger was instructed to find some secret and secure means of delivering it into her own hands it contained the strongest protestations of continued affection and dwelt upon the approaching change of the writers fortunes as chiefly valuable by tending to remove the impediments to their union he related the steps he had taken to overcome the prejudices of her parents and especially of her mother and expressed his hope they might prove effectual if not he still trusted that his absence from scotland upon an important and honourable mission might give time for prejudices to die away while he hoped and trusted miss ashton's constancy on which he had the most implicit reliance would baffle any effort that might be used to divert her attachment much more there was which however interesting to the lovers themselves would afford the reader neither interest nor information to each of these three letters the master of Ravenswood received an answer, but by different means of conveyance, and certainly couched in very different styles. Lady Ashton answered his letter by his own messenger, who was not allowed to remain at Ravenswood a moment longer than she was engaged in penning these lines. For the hand of Mr. Ravenswood of Wolf's Crag. These. Sir. Unknown i have received a letter signed edgar master of ravenswood concerning the writer whereof i am uncertain seeing that the honours of such a family were forfeited for high treason in the person of allan late lord ravenswood sir if you shall happen to be the person so subscribing yourself you will please to know that i claim the full interest of a parent in miss lucy ashton which i have disposed of irrevocably in behalf of a worthy person and sir were this otherwise i would not listen to a proposal from you and any of your house seeing their hand has been uniformly held up against the freedom of the subject and the immunities of god's Kirk. sir it is not a flightering blink of prosperity which can change my constant opinion in this regard seeing it has been my lot before now like holy david to see the wicked great in power and flourishing like a green bay-tree. Nevertheless I passed, and they were not, and the place thereof knew them no more. Wishing you to lay these things to your heart for your own sake, so far as they may concern you, I pray you to take no farther notice of her who desires to remain your unknown servant, Margaret Douglas, otherwise Ashton. About two days after he had received this very unsatisfactory epistle, the master of Ravenswood, while walking up the high street of Edinburgh, was jostled by a person in whom, as the man pulled off his hat to make an apology, he recognised Lockhart, the confidential domestic of Sir William Ashton. The man bowed, slipped a letter into his hand, and disappeared. The packet contained four close-written folios, from which, however, as is sometimes incident to the compositions of great lawyers, little could be extracted, excepting that the writer felt himself in a very puzzling predicament. Sir William spoke at length of his high value and regard for his dear young friend, the master of Ravenswood, and of his very extreme high value and regard for the Marquis of A., his very dear old friend. He trusted that any measures that they might adopt, in which he was concerned, would be carried on with due regard to the sanctity of decrees and judgments obtained in foro contencioso, protesting before men and angels that if the law of Scotland, as declared in her supreme courts, were to undergo a reversal in the English house of lords, the evils which would thence arise to the public would inflict a greater wound upon his heart than any loss he might himself sustain by such irregular proceedings. He flourished much on generosity and forgiveness of mutual injuries, and hinted at the mutability of human affairs, always favourite topics with the weaker party in politics. He pathetically lamented, and gently censured, the haste which had been used in depriving him of his situation of Lord Keeper, which his experience had enabled him to fill with some advantage to the public without so much as giving him an opportunity of explaining how far his own views of general politics might essentially differ from those now in power. He was convinced the Marquis of A. had as sincere intentions towards the public as himself or any man, and if, upon a conference, they could have agreed upon the measures by which it was to be pursued, his experience and his interest should have gone to support the present administration— Upon the engagement betwixt Ravenswood and his daughter, he spoke in a dry and confused manner. He regretted so premature a step as the engagement of the young people should have been taken, and conjured the master to remember he had never given any encouragement thereunto, and observed that, as a transaction inter minores, and without concurrence of his daughter's natural curators, the engagement was inept and void in law. This precipitate measure, he added, had produced a very bad effect upon Lady Ashton's mind, which it was impossible at present to remove. Her son, Colonel Douglas Ashton, had embraced her prejudices in the fullest extent, and it was impossible for Sir William to adopt a course disagreeable to them without a fatal and irreconcilable breach in his family, which was not at present to be thought of. Time the great physician, he hoped, Would mend all in a postscript sir william said something more explicitly which seemed to intimate that rather than the law of scotland should sustain a severe wound through his sides by a reversal of the judgment of her supreme courts in the case of the barony of ravenswood through the intervention of what with all submission he must term a foreign court of appeal he himself would extrajudicially consent to considerable sacrifices From Lucy Ashton, by some unknown conveyance, the master received the following lines. I received yours, but it was at the utmost risk. Do not attempt to write again till better times. I am sore beset, but I will be true to my word, while the exercise of my reason is vouchsafed to me. That you are happy and prosperous is some consolation, and my situation requires it all. The note was signed L.A this letter filled ravenswood with the most lively alarm he made many attempts notwithstanding her prohibition to convey letters to miss ashton and even to obtain an interview but his plans were frustrated and he had only the mortification to learn that anxious and effectual precautions had been taken to prevent the possibility of their correspondence the master was the more distressed by these circumstances as it became impossible to delay his departure from Scotland upon the important mission which had been confided to him before his departure he put Sir William Ashton's letter into the hands of the Marquis of A, who observed with a smile that Sir William's day of grace was past, and that he had now to learn which side of the hedge the sun had got to. It was with the greatest difficulty that Ravenswood extorted from the Marquis a promise that he would compromise the proceedings in Parliament, providing Sir William should be disposed to acquiesce in a union between him and Lucy Ashton. "'I would hardly,' said the Marquis, "'consent to your throwing away your birthright in this manner. "'Were I not perfectly confident that Lady Ashton, or Lady Douglas, "'or whatever she calls herself, will, as Scotchmen say, keep her threep, "'and that her husband dares not contradict her?' But yet, said the master, I trust your lordship will consider my engagement as sacred. Believe my word of honour, said the marquis, I would be a friend even to your follies, and having thus told you my opinion, I will endeavour, as occasion offers, to serve you according to your own. The master of Ravenswood could but thank his generous kinsman and patron and leave him full power to act in all his affairs he departed from scotland upon his mission which it was supposed might detain him upon the continent for some months chapter twenty seven